Hi, everyone. You're listening to the 59th episode of Hipster Baseball Podcast, HBP. I'm Dorian, and I'm writing solo for this episode. Unfortunately, DiCarlo was working double shifts in Santa's workshop. In case you didn't hear, there's a labor shortage in America, and the great resignation of 2021 has hit even the North Pole. So DiCarlo is going to be back with us in the next episode. But on today's podcast, we hit singles, doubles, and triples in Belgium, buy some NFT art, and we see greed in the baseball lockout. Today, as I'm drinking solo and talking to myself, sitting on an overturned bucket into a microphone, I'm drinking, I just had a sip, Triple Belgium from Legend Brewing Company in Richmond, Virginia. Now you're saying to yourself, singles, doubles, triples, I didn't know they played baseball in Belgium. I don't know either. They probably don't. But we're not talking about baseball. This is the name of the style of beers that they give in Belgium for specifically brewed beers. Because singles, doubles, and triples is is a a nod, not a precise calculation, of the alcohol content in beers who have roots from uh, Belgian Trappist. Now, the Belgian Trappists are basically what everyone knows, the, the Abbey monks. They brew beer. You go to your local brew shop and they're like, oh, this has been made by monks. So triple is the strongest one, usually what the, the monks use as the in between praying to God, to Allah, to Yahweh, to whoever. They're also making delicious beer. So there's a story that on the barrels, they would the, the monks would, would mark the barrels with X's. And the more X's, the stronger their beer is. So as you can imagine, triple, which it's actually spelled T-R-I-P-E-L, but we pronounce it triple as a triple, like a triple in baseball, is the strongest one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what I'm drinking. And you know what I was curious about? Are there monks anymore who actually even make beer? Surprisingly, there is. There are, at last count, 14 monasteries in the world, 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 world. Six in Belgium, two in the Netherlands, one in Austria, one in Italy, one in England, one in France, one in Spain, and one in the good old U.S. of A. They actually produce Trappist beers. So it's monks in this day and age in 2021 are still making this delicious type of single, double, triple style beer. And they even have their own association trade. It's called the International Trappist Association. Now, normally a triple beer has about has an alcohol content of about 9%, which makes it almost double the strength of a normal American domestic beer. So I'm going to get nice and toasty by the end of this podcast. And usually in these type of triple Belgian beers, there's a little bit of uh, orange, there's a little bit of Banana, there's some spice, some hops. So overall, it's a complex beer, but it's strong like bull. And you're asking yourself, the last question is, Dorian, what do I drink? What do I drink? You drink this Belgian beer. What do I eat with this delicious Belgian beer? Now, normally you might go for some roasted turkey. And Christmas is around the corner. In some cultures, People eat turkey for Christmas. Here in the U.S., we eat turkey for Thanksgiving. Some may also eat it for Christmas, but 
other cultures obviously don't celebrate American Thanksgiving. And so they have, they have Turkey and they may be drinking Belgian beer. Also uh, triple cream. And another, another, something else you can eat with this beer is caramelized banana creme brulee. Normally I don't like to have dessert with my beer. It's one or the other, but I do want to say this. Now we're talking about desserts. I not only do I love locally brewed beers, especially like the, this awesome brewing company, legend brewing company in Richmond. I also love ice cream. And I know I haven't talked that much about that on this podcast, but there is an awesome locally owned ice cream shop in Washington, D.C. called Ice Cream Jubilee, and they make a mean banana bourbon caramel. So, And they also sell it in Whole Foods as well. So if you find yourself in the Washington, D.C. area or in Whole Foods, check out Ice Cream Jubilee, their banana bourbon caramel. Uh, they, they're not sponsors. We're, I'm just letting – that just came off the top of my head about this delicious – beer that I'm drinking. And what also you can find, you don't even have to go to Whole Foods. You don't have to go to your local grocery store. You don't have to go to an ice cream shop. Our social media accounts are at your fingertips, ladies and gentlemen. Give us a follow. Our Twitter handle is at HBP4040. And our Instagram account name is Hipster Baseball Podcast. Give us a follow. Give us likes, comment, whatever you want, my friends. Today's sponsor is not an ice cream shop. Today, HBP is brought to you by Odeon Theaters of North America. You've had your sixth booster shot of the year. Stay away, coronavirus. You've learned all the letters of the Greek alphabet. It's time for you to safely stay indoors and enjoy the newest Hollywood blockbuster in the magic of your local movie theater. Odeon Theaters is the choice for you. We have theaters all over North America showing the movies that will make you cry, gasp, and laugh. Share the moments with your friends. Do it all at Odeon Theaters of North America. I want to thank Odeon Theaters of North America for making it a possibility for me to drink this delicious Belgium triple beer. And it also reminds me, there's a movie I want to see that I haven't yet seen. It's the new Wes Anderson film. Paris Dispatch. I haven't. It came out. I think like a month or two ago, and I still haven't made it out to see it. Yes, I have. I have my. I, I have seventeen booster shots, so I think I'm pretty good against COVID nineteen and, and being able to breathe indoors without a mask. <laughs> I'm jo- I'm joking, people. But don't tell Odeon Theaters from North America this. I actually like to sneak in my chocolate raisinets with a flask of delicious rum because beer is. Uh, it's a lot harder to hide in a flask and it goes flat but don't tell the good people that people go check out our sponsor we'll be happy they'll be happy and like i said you'll laugh gasp and cry all i'm sure in the same movie <laughs> this podcast i wanted to focus on the little turbulence you may have heard in the baseball world which is the baseball lockout it happened back on the 2nd of december meaning the owner's of the of the of major league baseball teams locked out the players because their collective bargaining agreement the CBA expired at midnight on the 2nd of December. This is our one and only segment this week, S&P double play, business and baseball. What is the collective bargaining agreement people? 
basically it governs the working relationship between the two parties, meaning the players and the owners. Who's not affected by the collective bargaining agreement are the front staff of your favorite baseball team, the managers, the back staff, as well as the minor league. So basically minor league players and everyone associated with that aren't affected by this lockout. Their business continues as normal. And usually these, these CBAs are in effect for about five, for, not for about, they are in effect for five years. So they have to, so the owners and the players negotiate this every five years. The last CBA in baseball was agreed back in December, 2016. 2016 plus five means December, 2021. And that's why they locked, the owners locked out players. And here we are in the negotiating process. So you're asking yourself, what the hell is at stake? What? They've had five years to figure this out. Why haven't they? Well, there's a lot of things coming up. One is revenue sharing. How much of the pie of the baseball revenue pie the owners keep and how much of that do the players get? We talked about service time manipulation where the, play, where the owners allow young, very talented players to stay in the minor leagues a lot longer than they should have because the owners want to, don't want to start the clock on those young players to inevitably, inevitably become free agents and get humongous contracts. Another thing of, uh, that's going to come up during these negotiations are the fact that a lot of teams tank, meaning they're not competitive. They sign very average to mediocre players to, to minimum contracts. These teams aren't trying to win. Nevertheless, they still collect tens of millions of dollars in revenue, and they don't pass it on to players because they're like, no, we don't want to compete for the playoffs. We don't want to win a World Series. We're just happy getting a couple of people in the stands and living fat off of the TV revenue and all the other money that we're making. And also one of the, not one other thing, but one of the other things that also are going to come up in this negotiation is the players want to raise the minimum salary, the minimum salary in major league baseball. Currently it's $570,500. But if you want to dive a lot deeper into the negotiations and everything that comes out of it, I highly recommend that you check out the always brilliant Baseball America podcast. There's an episode back on the, on the 3rd of December uh, where J.J. Cooper spoke with a labor lawyer and they did a deep dive into everything that's going to happen during these negotiations. So shout out. I, I, I love Baseball America. They're, they're amazing. I am not going to regurgitate what they said in that podcast because what's the point? Go listen to them. Listen to us and listen to them. I want to talk more about what's at stake, which is the money. Other, other people are going to tell you we may lose games. Spring training may be pushed back. We may not play 162 games next year. Yes, this is all a, a very real possibility. But I want to talk about the business part of all this stuff is the owners having to cough up more money. Let's start right at the top. The average salary in baseball, the average salary has stayed more or less the same for the past five years, which, which covers the, the, the previous CBA. It's been at around $4.3 million. In, those, in that same five-year period, revenues have exploded, baseball-wise baseball revenue, from $9 million to over $10 billion. Where is that extra billion dollars going to? 
you know, in his pocket, of course. <laughs> but the product on the field is the one that's earning that, not the owners. But here we are. Another issue of contention is the there's a luxury tax in baseball, meaning the collective salaries of every player is added up and baseball saying, well, it can't go over. I think right now it's like 190 or $200 million. And if you do, you have to pay a quote unquote tax, whether it's 10%, 20%, et cetera. But if you as a team, let's take the Los Angeles Dodgers. If you go over that luxury tax three consecutive years uh, at the third year, you're going to be taxed at 50%. So if the Dodgers salary, their, their entire salary is let's say $250 million dollars. In the third year, Major League Baseball is going to tax them $125 million. That's 50% of 250. And, and that $125 million, where does that go? It gets redistributed to the other teams. And so again, a full circle. If you're if you own a team that's not competitive, you're tanking, you're not paying your players anything, you're losing a hundred games a year, and you get a nice big fat check from Major League Baseball courtesy of the Los Angeles Dodgers paying a ridiculous tax and you make even more money, but you as the owner of this tanking team, you don't pass it off to your players. That's when the players get pissed off. You're not trying and you're getting rewarded for not trying and not fielding a competitive team. It's not the end of the world. If your team doesn't go to the playoffs or it doesn't win the world series, things happen, but for you not to not even try and then get, um, millions and millions and millions of dollars from a team like the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's insane. What's really bothering the players here is a lot of the revenue that's outside of the stadium, meaning outside of ticket, ticket sales and I guess concession sales or whatever is a lot of these teams now are building They're They're basically mini real estate development companies. You go to the Atlanta Braves game at the battery. It's huge. They have, hotels there. They have across the street, I think they have a, like a comedy store. They have bars and restaurants. None of that money ever goes to the to the Atlanta Braves players. It just stays with Liber Liberty Media, who the, the corporation that owns the Atlanta Braves. You go to any uh, uh, Wrigley Field, where the Chicago Cubs play. They're building all of that out. They have, they're building. They've built it all out. All of the money that's outside of there does not go to the Chicago Cubs players. It stays with the Ricketts family that own the Chicago Cubs. I can keep going on and on and on of all these examples. So for the baseball owners, the team is just part of their diversified portfolio, real estate interest, baseball, and all the things that can come with it. And we're going to get to all the things that come with baseball money. So the owners want to just wall off this revenue. They don't want to share anything with the players because they're being greedy. <laughs> and so the player's argument is, wait a minute, owner. The very reason you're able to get these additional revenue streams is because of us. They wouldn't exist. These real estate bars and these real estate hotels and everything you're doing built around the stadium, built around the game of baseball would not be possible without us. They aren't just going to go and look at 
old dudes sitting in an owner suite saying, wow, they're so awesome. This is why I'm here spending money at this hotel, at this bar and spending $50 to park here and $27 for a terrible domestic beer because they don't sell awesome Belgian triple at your local baseball stadium. And we're talking about tanking teams. A few months ago, back in August, 2021, the owners proposed something to the players and saying, you know what? We know you, we know you think that tanking is a problem. So we propose a minimum salary floor, meaning every single team has to pay, has to, has to have a minimum total salary of, in this case, $100 million. But they said, we want to have a salary cap, meaning no, no team can go over $180 million, which is insane because the other comparable sports in North America, the National Basketball Association, the National Hockey League, they all have salary floors, but it's, it's about in the same neighborhood as their cap. So the NBA, the National Basketball Association, is 90% of their cap. And so, I'm sorry, the, the salary floor is within 90% of the, of the salary cap, meaning the highest that you could spend. The NHL, 85%. The baseball owners are basically saying, well, how about, 100, about, about 70% less than what we say we can't spend anymore? They want to restrict how much money that they spend while revenue continues to explode in baseball. So as you can imagine, this was laughed out and they're like this, the the players are like, this is not going to happen because the salary floor that the major league baseball owners were proposing was 55%. It's pretty ridiculous. And on top of that, my unfavorite commissioner, uh, Rob Manford, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, he said in a letter to the fans in an open letter back on the 2nd of December, right after the lockout happened, he said, quote, we offer to establish a minimum payroll for all clubs to meet for the first time in baseball history, end quote. This is true, Commissioner Manfred. But like I said, that salary floor was laughably low. It it. It doesn't make sense. It's, all, it's, it's almost an insult. And it also reminds me of a very famous song. Tell me lies. Tell me sweet little lies. Dun, 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 dun. Tell me lies. Tell me, tell me lies. Tell me lies by Fleetwood Mac. It's a song that came out way back in 1987. Because now we're going beyond business decorum to just flat out lies from the commissioner and the owners. And to make a point that the owners will always hide how much money they're really making from the players, I'm going to give you another quote. Quote, anyone who quotes profits of a baseball club is missing the point. Under generally accepted accounting principles, I can turn a $4 million profit into a $2 million loss, and I can get every national accounting firm to agree with me. End quote. That was said by Paul Best uh, Beeston, who used to be a senior executive for the Toronto Blue Jays, and he's absolutely correct. This is not an accounting podcast, but what he said about turning a profit into a loss, a paper loss, is dead on. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, Hollywood producers and studios do this to screw over their actors when they try to do uh, revenue sharing, because some actors do. What do they do? Uh, they say, we'll, we'll start making money with you on net, meaning whatever's profit. 
as opposed to gross, which is from penny one. Because when you do net, corporations will do all their gap shenanigans in accounting and say, oh, look, we didn't make any money. So therefore, you didn't make any money, which is absolutely insane. But this also is not a Hollywood podcast, even though we all like to watch Hollywood films indoors on a giant screen. So later on in this letter that that, uh, Rob Manfred sent out, or not sent out, but he made it publicly available to the fans because it was for the fans. He said, quote, this defensive lockout was necessary because the Players Association's vision for Major League Baseball would threaten the, the ability of most teams to be competitive. It's simply not a viable option. From the beginning, the Major League Baseball Players Association has been unwilling to move from their starting position, compromise, or collaborate on solutions. End quote. Again, tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. Tell me lies, tell me, tell me lies. All that is a lie. (laughs) What are you talking about? Threaten the ability of most teams to be competitive? You are making money hand over fist. I, again, what I just said a few moments ago, the owners are selling lies to the media and the fans. Oh, poor us. We lost so much money during coronavirus, during the 2020 season. We can't make any money anymore. Blah, 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 blah. What are the owners unwilling to give up? It's the revenue outside the stadium. So for any gambling degenerates out there, perk your ears up, my friends, because this is exactly what the owners will not ever share with the players. We all know the Cubs are building a DraftKings sports betting book right outside of Wrigley Field. We went over this in episode 50. It's estimated that the Cubs are going to bring in an additional $100 million over the next 10 years. In my personal opinion, I think that's an under, they're, they're underselling that, how much money they're going to make. They're going to be probably making a heck of a lot more than $100 million over the next 10 years. And you better believe the Ricketts family, the owners of the Chicago Cubs, are not going to share one penny with any of the Cubs players. You, If you watch ESPN, if you watch any sports, you're watching hockey, you're watching baseball, you're watching Fox Sports, whatever, all you see is commercials of all of these gambling online stuff. It's like, hey, download the app on your phone. Your first $10 bet is free. They're trying to get everyone to do this. Uh, I, I bet that this so-and-so player is going to hit a home run in the first inning. And if you win, you win. If you bet $10, you win $100. None of that. The, the, the Major League Baseball teams get a residual of all of that. They don't, they're not going to share any of that with the players. And it's not, I'm not picking on the Ricketts either or the Chicago Cubs. The New York Mets are also planning, well, they're in talks with Sands Casino out of Las Vegas to open a Sands Casino in Queens, New York. What do you think is going to happen there? More sports betting. I think that the right fielder for the New York Mets is going to make a home run cat. Uh, he's going to hit a home run in the third inning. I'm putting 100 bucks down. Steve Cohen, the new, well, is still the new owner of the New York Mets. He's going to see all that money, not not the actual left fielder for the New York Mets who actually hits that home run in the third inning. (laughs) And you, if you bet, you'll make money, but not the player. But again, who's generating all this excitement? Who's generating all of this betting scenario? 
It's the product on the field, which is the players. What else is an off is an outside of the stadium revenue stream that the owners will not give up? It's NFT. What the hell is NFT? NFT stands for non-fungible tokens. What it ba- it's all the rage right now in the art world. It basically means an NFT is unique and cannot be replaced. It's a one-of-a-kind thing, and if it's one-of-a-kind, it means it's valuable. It uh, The NFT runs on the Ethereum blockchain for any of you crypto nerds out there. Uh, but the NF- NFTs, non-fungible tokens, are also bad for the climate. Much earlier this year, back in back much earlier in 2021, uh, Le Lemercier, a French artist, he sold six NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain. He sold them in 10 seconds, all six of them, for thousands and thousands of dollars. That sale of six NFTs in 10 seconds consumed 8.7 megawatts of energy in 10 seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, to compare that, to give you a compa- to give you context, in the U.S., on average, an American household consumes about 10 megawatts in a year. In 10 seconds, a French artist sold six NFTs that consumed 8.7 megawatts. The house that you may be living in consumes 10 megawatts in the entire year. That should blow your mind. And so what can be an NFT? Anything. It can be a song. It can be a drawing. It can be graphics. It can be a video. Anything could be an NFT. Right now, it's being pushed as a way to collect art as well. Because, for example, you can buy, you can go to the museum and buy a print of a Picasso painting. But there's only one person who actually owns the original work. That's trying to explain what an NFT is. So you can go online and just say, hey, I'm going to copy paste this picture. But there's only one person who owns it. So right now, so what am I talking? Why am I talking about NFTs? Because NFTs have entered the baseball revenue stream. There's a company called Candy Digital. They've set up a partnership with Major League Baseball. Candy Digital, Candy, Candy Digital runs its baseball NFTs on, of course, the Ethereum blockchain. And so every time Candy Digital comes up with an NFT, an NFT and sells it, Major League Baseball, meaning the owners, the teams, they earn a royalty from the primary and the secondary sale of any of those NFTs. And you already know where I'm going with this. Players will not see a dime of any of this NFT revenue. And you're, li- and you're like, okay, it's an NFT. Who cares? We're talking, some NFTs have gone for tens of millions of dollars. The NBA has already set up their own NFT partnership with someone else. I don't remember who it is, but basically the National Basketball Association sells highlights of some brilliant dunk, dunk, a brilliant defensive play, some awesome play that just makes you jump off of your seat or just jump in the air. They sell that, but baseball is trying to explore a moment, is trying to explore players, uh, images, whatever. And we're not talking about $100 NFT or thousands. We're going to be talking about millions of dollars per NFT. Excuse me while I drink my beer. 
So like I said, players are not going to earn anything from NFT, the NFT sales. Players are not going to earn anything from the gambling. And by the way, it's estimated that gambling is going to bring an additional billion dollars. That's a billion with a B, A, B. So if you're a player, you train your body as a temple, you train year around, you do get paid a boatload of money, let's be honest. But you see, there's so much being, there's so much more me, money being made off of your crafts, your, your sports craft, your workout, your dedication. You're gonna sit back and think, wait a minute. I need a piece of that because I'm helping produce that. It's not to say I have all of that is mine. No, part of it is the owners and the other part of it is the players. But when it comes to the revenue streams, the money being made outside of the stadium, meaning the concession stand and the tickets, that the players can 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 get some of that money. The owners are saying, "Oh no, 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 no." No, darling, you're not getting any of this NFT money. You're not getting any of this delicious gambling money. You're not getting anything. And so here we are. It's not just service time manipulation. It's not just the length of the game, the how, how, how long a baseball game lasts. It's so much more than that. And as usual, money is the roots of all evil. I don't know what's going to happen. There's a downside to this lockout, as it has been said in countless articles when you go online, as it has as it has been said at some of your other favorite podcasts that you listen to when it comes to sports and baseball. We're probably going to not have a complete 162 game season next year. And that's okay, As long as we don't lose a season, that would just be insane. So what's the downside to to this lockout is. Simple things. Players who are uh, rehabilitating from injuries, they can't consult their team trainer or their medical staff. And so it's not that they need to do it on their own. They just need to reach out and deal with other physical therapists who probably don't know their bodies, whether it's their, their, their leg, their shoulder, their abdomen. They don't know them as well as the team staff. And that's a problem. Play, uh, teams can't sign players, obviously. They can't hand out contracts during the lockout. There can be z- There is also no contract, contact between players and teams. For example, the Atlanta Braves need to re-sign first baseman Freddie Freeman. He's a free agent. His contract expired after the, uh, after the 2021 season, and they didn't come to an agreement. He's a free agent, so he can't sign with any team. And he can't even continue negotiations with the Atlanta Braves front office. And the funny thing is, I find this, this is almost ridiculous that apparently even amongst the owners of the front office and the major league baseball teams, they can't even talk about players, which I find kind of silly. It's like, that is the point of the game. The product on the field are the players, but, but the, but everyone involved with the management side of Major League Baseball, can't talk about the players. So here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We've talked about NFTs, gambling, the lies, the the way accounting practices that are accepted work in North America that use GAAP, the generally generally uh, 
what am I talking about? The generally um, account, generally accepted accounting principles. Excuse me. The Abbey monks have done a tremendous job with this awesome triple beer. And all the money that's being made on through the product on the field and also the derivatives off the field. What is going to happen? As I said before, my personal opinion, we probably will lose games. The owners ultimately will probably give in for smaller things like saying a player can reach free agency earlier than what we had agreed to previously. Maybe it's a year or two and that way it extends how much money a player can make. I'm talking about big money. I'm not talking about the minimum salary of basically half a million dollars. They may even propose, they probably will propose a much higher team salary floor, a lot higher than their $100 million initial crazy proposal. But at the end of the day, the owners will always take a short-term loss for a long-term gain. They will give up these small things to them just so that they can fence off and keep all of that delicious fat revenue from NFTs, from gambling, from hotels, from the bars, from the development, from the apartments and condos that they're building outside of your local favorite baseball team, that they're going to put an electric fence around that money, baby. We'll see. This is probably going to drag on until well after Valentine's Day 2022. I think they might even, this might probably this CBA, this new CBA, which whenever it actually is agreed upon by both the Players Association and the owners, probably the beginning of March. Again, my personal opinion, this is why we have this podcast. Ultimately, the players will get a little bit of what they want, and the owners are going to get a lot more of what they want. But that's my opinion, and who knows what's going to happen. But I do know that I'm thankful because the last time we did this was for Thanksgiving. I'm thankful. And also to Carlo, our new listeners, you want to give a shout out to them. We have new listeners from Guatemala city, Guatemala, Mesa, Arizona, and Burbank, California. Thank you. Welcome to the show. We're going to be, we're going to be here all throughout the off season and also whenever the new season begins. So thank you all for listening to the podcast. HBP, we talk about baseball, drinks, crypto kitties, and everything under the sun. Subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. Rate us. It helps with the analytics. Tell your friends all about us and help spread the word. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at HBP4040. Follow us on Instagram hipster baseball podcast the drink i'm having will be in the show notes as well as twitter and instagram join us next time when DiCarlo finally finishes working at santa's workshop for a brand new christmas special edition of hipster baseball podcasts goodbye everybody